I was, uh, I took the athlete route. I was, um, I played all the sports and, and had some good success there and went to college for a little bit playing football, running track. Um, I did all the little play day stuff that you do as a kid, but when it came down to, uh, to the high school rodeo or, or cuttings, I, I was too busy with, with all the other things. Kind of decided there, I thought, you know, it's time to, it's time to go. It's time to double down and go. So, um, so quit school, much to my parents' dismay, but <laughs> we went on and, um, and spent five years out there in Muleshoe breeding on those large dairies. We, we built a new facility and new tack room, and I'll find myself staring at the wall, at the bits, you know, like, well, which one, I, what do I think I need today? What am I mm-hmm. going to get accomplished? What is this horse like? And, and most times, nine times out of ten, I think it comes back to it doesn't matter, yeah. you know, um, within reason. It doesn't matter. Just just get something in them and, and, and get along. Welcome back to the Wealthy Cowboy Show. Today we got Logan McWilliams. Um, he has a background in cutting horses and the cutting horse industry, and then also he's uh, he's in the reproduction side of I don't know. What do you say your job title is? You do AI and breeding and ultrasound. What do you? How do you describe that? So uh, yeah, I'm just a technician on the on the female side of things. So we do anything from pregnant cows to, to AI to embryo transfer. Um, I worked there at Champion Genetics in Canton, Texas, and we uh, were a full-service repro clinic for the bulls and, and cows both. Okay. And uh, I met you through Cash, our our mutual buddy, and and um, I guess your grandpa's place over there they had leased. And that's a, a pretty cool old facility up there, the first part I saw, and then we go down to your – I guess your parents' house, and y'all have another little setup down there. What's what was that like growing up? Was like your family always involved in cutting, or what? What did they do? So yeah, that um, that ranch is it's a pretty neat little place. My my family, my great grandfather came out of uh, Clovis, New Mexico, and bought that place back in the twenties, and we've had it ever since. And um, right there where it sits at twenty and sixty four. Uh, we got to see, you know, all of that come in and develop, and uh, that that big red barn that's there on that hill is where they actually housed all the mules and the equipment to build '64 back uh, when all that was coming through that Myrtle Springs area, which was, uh, you know, the thriving metropolis at the time. It had the <laughs> mineral waters and and uh, the natural springs that everybody came there for. Um, through the time. My grandfather was big into the um, commercial flower business. They grew gladiolas on that whole place. It was a big uh, gladiola farm. And they got out of that, and they got into the Simmental business, which where all the pens came from, all mm-hmm. those holding pens, and they had on a production sale on the whole nine yards, um, and then developed into the cutting horse business. They tried to make a big splash in the 80s and the 90s uh, in the cutting business, and they had some big-time trainers come through there um, that – helped me get my foot in the door later on in life. Um, not that I'm anybody now. I just tried a few cults. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so so as a kid, um, it was really cool. We always had some really nice horses standing around, some really good hands come through there, and, and uh, getting to watch all that go down, it was pretty fun. Yeah. Did you did you show any as, like, a kid and, like, in high school and stuff? Was Did you go to some shows and have some, some of your own horses or – 
No, actually, uh, quite the opposite. I I was uh, I took the athlete route. I was um, I played all the sports and and had some good success there. And went to college for a little bit playing football, running track. Um, I did all the little play day stuff that you do as a kid. But when it came down to uh, to the high school rodeo or or cuttings, I I was too busy with with all the other things. Yeah. Yes, sir. So when did that come into play? Because you, because now you kind of ride some, I guess, some outside horses. Yep. You rode some for for me and um, trained some of your own and partner partner with cash on some and stuff like that. When did when did that come about? Was that like after high school or? So I never just didn't ride. We we always had horses standing around and I'd always rode. But um, when I got to college, um. I went to school on a on a football track scholarship, and I ended up um, leaving that, coming back to SFA. And there was a, a professor there, Dr. Joe Gotti, and um, he really kind of got me into uh, riding a lot of colts and uh, riding some horses through the school. And that just kind of grew one thing after another. Is that that's kind of what you do now, right? Like the two year old deals is what you really like is actually starting them. Yep. Yep. So, getting them going, um, you know the the popular fad of the whole natural way of doing things, and and just getting horses real broke, getting them on cows. Um, that's kind of my my niche there before they go into a bridle and somebody really getting on through them. So. What's what's that process look like if you get if we sent you one, you know, that just turned two right now? Do you have some right now like that? Yeah, that are, that are like just maybe halter broke or something like yep. what's your how do you go through that like what's your, you just go through your steps kind of what you would do with one so i like them uh for me when they come to me the more raw the better um i'd like to just get them in a pen in that you know that round pen that breaking pen where everybody starts and uh just develop a foundation relationship with that horse get them get hooked up with them you know get that communication going on where they're paying attention to me, responding to me, and kind of however long that takes. And then we just start into a bit of the desensitization. I don't I don't want to just get them numb mm -hmm. um, like a lot of guys really work for. I still want to be able to step on them and have them move out. Um, yeah. I for sure want to get by all the buck and the scare, but, um, but I just try to get them broke enough, pulling their head around, and get them uh, – comfortable enough with with me that getting a saddle on them and getting on them is not that big a deal mm -hmm. and just get them moving out and go from there do you you drive them and stuff i don't um, uh i just never have yeah uh, i never uh i never really even seen anybody do it I've, mm -hmm. I've seen videos of it but i've never been around it um for me it's it's just getting on them with a with a halter the first time and just trying to get them broke that way yeah I, I kind of go back and forth with Shady on this because I like to – there's so many different ways that you could do it, and, um, you know, you can get to the same outcome a bunch of different ways. But For sure. I like to just get them to where you can get on them. I don't like to start them, but if, if they have a few rides where I can just get on them and go, that's kind of how I like them. And then, you know, I can do all that other stuff on their back. You yeah. know, as long as I can get them to, to pull around – and disengage their hips where they're not going to get away from me or something and I can get on them and go. I can teach them, you know, I'm not a horse trainer really, but 
Like you can, I can teach them to do everything I want to go to the different directions and stop and, and collect a little bit and stuff like that. But there's, I know everybody has their different ways of doing things. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, in that round pen, I just want to be able to, like you're saying, I know that they're not going to run off and not going to do anything too dumb. And I try to spend five or six rides in the round pen and then just get them out yeah. and let them travel and uh, let them try to, as I say, find their feet, you know, mm-hmm. um, get some direction to them, get them using their feet and using the ribs. And, and I mean, all that comes a little later, but, yeah. but just get them out, get them traveling and uh, work on them from there. So there, I want to ask you about like two different aspects. Like if you were going to just partner on one, like you do with cash or something, how long do you how long do you mess with them getting them started before you send them to somebody like him to go gather cattle on or rope or you know use them outside? I mean, for sure, it's each individual case, but um, but I want them to be able to sure enough bridle up, uh, try to get them one handed uh, where you where you can pick the ribs up and get them to bridle up. And, and get to where you can kind of kick them around. Maybe mm-hmm. they're not just completely raining around and doing things nice, but get them to where he can get out there and still do his job, um, but yeah. get by on, on the yeah. other horse. Yeah, and I think, like, I've never rode. I mean, we have some good horses, you know, cowbred horses that we buy now, but as far as, like, when I was riding some outside horses, it was, you know, just 30-day, maybe a 60-day <clears throat> type deal, and – just whatever you know and you could tell a difference in the breeding i've had a couple come in that were that were pretty nice and in about you know five to ten rides i mean you could i could take them to the sale barn or go go do something on them and you you can pick them up back them up side pass them open gates on them and stuff maybe even swing a rope on them and then there's some that it's like you're day 45 and you're they're still trying to kill you. you yeah, yep. for sure. The um, you know this this breeding deal has the the curve is just so steep. These these horses are just getting better and better and better. And it mm-hmm. seems like anymore, you know, you kind of joke about trading on papers, but uh, that those papers mean something when they come out of money winning mares and and some some nice studs. And it, nine times out of ten, uh, they're going to start themselves. Yeah. You just stay out of their way. Um, most all of them stop. Most all of them turn around. Mm-hmm. Um, and for sure, you're going to get some hotter personalities, some horses that move their feet a little faster than others. But but uh, as long as you develop that communication, you know, and, and knowing knowing where those horses are at or what they're going to – an idea of what they're going to do and how they're going to be, well, then, you know, you can get around a lot of that. Yeah. Do you think there's a – like when you look at a horse's papers – can you kind of tell what they're going to be a little bit? I mean, everybody has like, oh, you got a so-and-so horse. I bet he does this. You know, they kind of stereotype them. But what do you think about Yeah, I mean, that's the easy conversation. And the arrogance in me will say, yeah, we can pretty (laughs) much figure that out. But no, I mean, each one of them is different. We've got got a couple horses now, and one of them is is pretty hard to to get by. He's immensely talented, but he's just hot, hot, hot. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't have seen that coming, you know. I mean, uh, I wouldn't have thought that whenever we bought him. But what about that's your job is all genetics and reproduction. So, like, do you see anything like that on the cattle side 
when you're doing stuff like that can if you breed this and this you know what you're gonna get i mean you're not dealing with their personality as much i guess really right. just the the beef side of it i mean that's the whole driving deal now especially with um the bull market and how we're uh trying to place these bulls in the commercial herds with using genomics and epds and and uh trying to predict what these what their progeny are going to do um and that's that's what drives the whole industry. Mm -hmm. How did to get into the genetic side of stuff? The other the other side of your business, wh where did that come from? Like, how did you get started in in the all that stuff? Pure accident. I was again going to school. I I um, when I left high school, I went to uh, Harding University, a, a, a D two school up in in Arkansas, and I played sports for them. And it was a liberal arts school. So I just picked a major like anybody else and um, quickly found out that none of that was for me. So I, I came back to Texas to go to SFA. Were you, do, were you doing like a liberal arts? I was an English major okay. of all things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so came back to SFA, got an animal science degree, wanted to do horse repro, so I was going to try to do my undergrad, um, be a veterinarian. I wasn't exactly sure what uh, – exactly what job i wanted in horse reproduction but i that, i wanted to go down that route mm -hmm. um and had a family friend uh that uh, we were at a wedding uh one time and he was talking to me and he ended up he was the um the president for coba coba is a member of a larger cooperative select sires and they're uh, one of the major bull studs in the country mm -hmm. and um he told me, you know, he was saying, if you ever wanted a, a summer job or internship or whatever else, I'll send you out there to the panhandle to to breed some cows. And so at the time, I kind of blew it off. I didn't really want to do the cow thing. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I got back and thought about it some more, and I took him up on it. I thought, well, you know, uh, kind of my deal. I never say no to an opportunity. You know, right. something like that where you have that kind of growth. Mm -hmm. So, um, So I called him and... I went out and moved to Dimmit, Texas, and then on to Muleshoe, and um, lived out there for five years. Well, I, I went out there for a summer internship and, and bred cows for them on those large dairies out there and came back to school for a semester. That was in 2008 when the whole housing market fell out. Yeah. And I was out of money, and I couldn't really see where uh, this whole deal was going to go. I had this good opportunity in front of me, and and young kid that I just – I really, my hobby is to work. I really, really enjoy that. Mm -hmm. So um, school was, I was having a lot of fun in school. I <laughs> uh, wasn't getting anything accomplished. Yeah. So um, so I just kind of decided there. I thought, you know, it's time to, it's time to go. It's time to double down and go. So, um, so I quit school, much to my parents' dismay, but <laughs> we went on and, um, and spent five years out there in Muleshoe breeding on those large dairies, and um, and then did you gra did you graduate school or you quit before you? No, I quit. Didn't didn't graduate. And you regret that at all? Yeah, there's for sure days that I do. <laughs> it, it's not the easy road, um, especially not in my business. But uh, I, I think like if you you had an opportunity, you kind of knew what you wanted to do with your life, so you had the opportunity to either keep going to school and getting taught about it or yeah. you could just go start doing it and probably you know getting paid like you're you're getting you're earn, earning and you're learning so yeah. i think that's a good way to get 
um, kind of depending on what you're wanting to do with your life. But if you can go ahead and get into the industry that you're wanting to without having to go to school, that real world experience has always treated me better than sitting in a classroom or behind a screen or something like that and trying yep. to learn about it that way. And I think most would agree, you know, but at that at that moment in life, it was a, it was a decision of, okay, I'm going to have to work twice as hard. You know, I, I knew it going into it because um, I, I just didn't have that resume and I'm not going to have that knowledge base. I'm going to have to go earn that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and going out there to those dairies, you're probably, you're seeing a lot of cattle out there. We'd breed, yeah. I mean, you, we'd breed 20 to 30,000 a year out there. Um, and that's, that's, that was my biggest plus, mm-hmm. um, is that I had that experience to be able to, to move forward. I'd been in a lot of cows. And so that, that helped me a lot. Yeah. I would think after, after a few years of that, I mean, you're, you probably have more knowledge than somebody that went to A&M and graduated, not to put down veterinarians that went <laughs> no. to A&M, but, but by the time they're going to school and learning about it and you've been in 120,000 cows. So, um, kind of the reason I left the job um yes I knew how to put semen in cows uh I, I had that forwards and backwards but I is all you were doing out there was it just AI yeah so you just go into a dairy find the cows that were in the heat breed them and um I got kind of bored with that I, yeah I uh I enjoyed the job it was fast paced um you essentially worked for yourself I didn't have anybody looking over my shoulder um I just go into these places you'd start at three o'clock in the morning be done by 11 o'clock and i'd ride colts the rest of the day Mm -hmm. so um it was show up and go it was really fast and uh a lot of cows and covered a lot of ground and uh, i really really enjoyed it but but it was just it was just finding cows in heat and putting semen in them and um i just kind of wanted to use my brain a little bit more than than that so uh that's when I started looking for a place where I could go into embryo transfer. And um, when I left school to go to Muleshoe, um, Champion Genetics wasn't there. It, it wasn't in Canton. It wasn't, a, it wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. So um, lo and behold, when I start looking around right here in my hometown, there's <laughs> a place that I could go flush cows. And so um, I called them for a year essentially begging for a job and uh they didn't have anything at the time a guy named craig barton owned the place and uh still one of my greatest mentors and great friend great great guy um he just didn't have anything didn't have anything and finally a year later he called me and said i think i got something for us to look at and um and that's that's where it all started yeah (laughs) it's all about i think it's all about who you know and like finding that mentor probably Big changed time. your life yeah networking networking mm-hmm. and just like that first guy that sent you out there to hook you up with the deal in the panhandle yep um so what is it what was what's your relationship with champion and like what all do y'all do there so i, I came to him just as a, a grunt basically you know and there was a guy flushing cows for him john broadway who is probably my best friend to this day he's uh and he was looking to retire looking to slow down he was there in the very beginnings of it all whenever they first started flushing cows and um he's come through it seen it all and um so i learned under him and i just whatever i had to do to 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 get there and get it done and and be under his tutelage so Mm -hmm. um 
I get there early and 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 work through the cows, get everything prepared for him. When he showed up, then we started going, and that was my education. And that's come into now. I um, I manage the the female side of all of it, so um, that would be the if it if it has anything to do with the cow at champion, it usually goes somewhere through me. Are y'all? Y'all do like a lot of registered stuff. Are you still doing some dairy? What what so, all industries are, and what are y'all doing there on species and industries and all that? So we'll do anything that calls us. I mean, within reason. But we we don't have any dairy cows to speak of. There's there's one large dairy down the road, and uh, we've we've done a little bit of work with them, but not a lot. Usually those guys have their own in house guys doing it. Um, so yeah, ninety percent of it's all going to be registered cows. Um, and then we'll still do some large herd commercial cow breeds where we can uh, back up to the chute. We have a little breed barn that we run two cows at a time too, and we can do large numbers that way. And y'all do so y'all do embryo transfer AI um, and ultrasound. Yeah, um, ultrasound is a is a repro tool for us that um, that we can use to to pre screen cows to know that they're cycling, to know where they're at in the cycle so that we can make uh, more educated decisions moving forward on how to get her in heat or when she's going to come into heat, kind of get those predictors in there. Also, we use it on the ET side, um, looking at uh, follicular population or, or the, the potential of these donors, um, what we think they can do, what they're going to do. And then we have a, um, an IVF program where we use it for aspirations. Okay. follicle aspirations uh taking those oocytes out of those cows for for ivf yeah um what about the bull side and the like the stud side of that of champion so what all goes on there we are what's considered a custom collection facility um which is basically like cheap insurance you go out <clears throat> and buy so you go to the stock show and you buy uh the lead off bull for your commercial cows um it gives you it gives you opportunity to collect semen on him and market that to sell or also just put it up as insurance, mortality insurance on that bull. If he were mm -hmm. to die and you've got a thousand straws in the bank, well, then that that sure helps extend his value and extend his life. Right. Um, we don't own any of the bulls. It's just all custom collection. It's all clients that come in. Therefore, and y'all store it there. Yep, yep. Um, so we don't have a catalog where we're selling semen. That's not our business. We mm -hmm. just collect our clients' bulls, and then we can help them through our website. We can help them market their bulls um, where we'll just throw it up and put their contact information on there or um, or we just store it for, for whatever they sell on their own. We, we uh, are a UPS hub. We ship out every day and take in every day and a storage facility that's about two and a half million units, I think, at the moment. Cool. So... If somebody has a badass bull or something, they can they can get in contact with y'all, collect them, and and then yep. also store it, and then y'all help with marketing of that too. A yep, little bit. for sure. And and we store, you know, even it doesn't matter if we collected it or not. Uh, we we store all kinds of specimen there. Anything that needs to be in liquid nitrogen, we pretty well got it. Do y'all do anything with horses? Or is we it had a horse. Um, a stud service for two years and it, it just didn't pan out. It wasn't going very well and they got out of it. That, that was actually before me. Um, mm -hmm. That was in 2010, I think. Um, and they, they got out of it. 
So champions basically just the cattle side. Just cattle. Anything to do with cattle breeding, We're, y'all y'all can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then y'all you have a one of the reasons I want to bring you on here was y'all have a cool opportunity also of teaching people how to do this and and teaching a new skill, you know, for somebody to have in their belt if they have a big operation or work for a big operation or something like that. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so <clears throat> Champions always offered a, a uh, AI school. And I, it seems like the more people I come across, it seems like everybody's been to one at some sort of time. Um, AI is fairly simple. Um, it's, it doesn't take much to wrap your brain around it. Just uh, just the process of doing it, and then go home and and stay in cows. And the mm-hmm. more you can stay in them, the better you're going to get. The more it, you can familiarize yourself with it. It seems pretty simple. Just we did it in cow tracks at Tarleton. Yep. And one of those classes just had a cow track on a table. You just stick the stick the straw or the deal in there and squeeze it or whatever. And yep. It seems pretty simple, which I've never done, and I'm sure it's more. Yeah. It's a little tougher than that. Well, the demand. For years and years and years since I've been there, um, we always had a waiting list, and we were like a year out on that waiting list trying to get people into these schools. We we host six of them a year, uh, and we always capped the class at 10 because we were doing it out of a trailer that would hold 10. So last summer, we decided to double down and build a new facility. We built a new classroom um, and a new uh, stanchion stall where we can – put those cows in there and there's uh we can hold 20 cows at a time now so we doubled our class size to 20 and it's taken off we've we've got new curriculum and we're now offering um to be able to teach it old sham and so you can preg your own cows and and know what you got um it's a big big tool for these big ranches um you know 300 head plus you're losing money by not being able to do these things mm-hmm. um the genetic potential the the managing potential of having these tools in your toolboxes is too much to ignore anymore yeah do you think it's easier to learn how to ultrasound than the palpate yeah for sure um with the ultrasounds that we offer they have those extension arms um, I'm sure you've seen that where you stick that that probe inside mm-hmm. the cow and, and it comes up. Um, that eliminates um, the the feeling that you have when you're palpating those cows. When you get in there, there's it's a sensory overload and it's also you have no idea what you're feeling in the first place. So your hand is in the way a lot of times and you're yeah. you're you're palpating and trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, trying to work through those rectal rings and and a lot of times you're your own worst enemy. When you're trying to learn how to palpate, because you you've got your mind in the way instead of just seeing, right? So being able to look at it and and see it and say, yeah, there's there's a baby in there. Yeah. So through these schools, we we teach you how to identify these pregnancies, uh, looking at amniotic fluid and cotyledons and and uh, the actual fetus itself, and then um, the bigger thing is learning how to identify an open track and making sure that you're seeing either a pregnancy or a open cow before you pull out and go on. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing in most operations. It's like, it's nice to be able to know when they're going to calve, but if it's an older cow, it's not quite as important as just knowing if there is a calf or not, you know. Yep. Most people don't aren't going to cull, you know, they're going to pull their bulls anyway, right. so they're not going to cull so much on 
how far they're along. It's more on if they're open or not. Yep. Yep. Usually those fall preg checks, that's all it is, is, is pregnant or open. Um, they know when the bulls went in. They know when the bulls came out. Mm-hmm. They don't need to know anything else, just pregnant or open. And the ones I've been around, the ranches that I've been around that had an AI or an ultrasound guy come out, and especially if they got that, the glasses. Yep. I know there's a few different ways to do it, and uh, but the, it's super fast. It's I mean, rapid. it's just bam, 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 bam. You're rolling through them instead of having to stick your arm in and have them stand right and fight them and all that stuff. And it's it's uh, it'll put years on a man's career too. Uh, mm-hmm. Veterinarians or, or the guys that are arming cows, you know, that are that are still doing those twenty thousand, thirty thousand a year. It's a it's a big deal to be able to put that probe in there. Stay out of that shoot. Don't get kicked and don't get squished and 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 the longevity of your shoulder and your elbow and the whole nine yards. It's, yeah, it's a it's a lot better deal. That being said, you need to be uh, educated on on exactly what you're looking at because it you can miss and you can uh, you know you can get in too big a hurry where you stick it in there and you don't see anything and you're calling her open and maybe that's a deeper pregnancy or. Or, or you just didn't have it positioned right and you're not looking at it. So um, so that's what we're trying to do is, is educate people on that. And when they come when they come to that school, I mean, they're, it's hands-on. They're going to be looking at tracks and, and leaving with the experience they need to go do it. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll take them through a, like a 100-slide PowerPoint of, of everything, um, the anatomy, um, where, where these pregnancies are going to be ideally in a, in a perfect world. Um, the the what's and the whys and and how ultrasound technology works, um, give you a better understanding of the equipment you're working with, and then the next day, yeah, we'll um we'll go through, uh, however many we a lot usually somewhere fifteen to twenty cows per student, but what we're doing is we'll have multiple monitors set up for these ultrasounds, and then there's a person at the shoot that's doing it, and everybody else is looking and watching because we can shoot the, that signal Wi-Fi to those monitors. So you're still getting those reps in, even though you're not actually running the probe. Sticking it in. Yeah. So you usually go through 100, 150 head of cows uh, that day. Cool. So where where are those schools, and, and when are they, and how do they find all the info on that? So our AI school there at Champion is the second week of the month. Um, this spring will be March, April, May, and then in the fall will be September, October, November. Um, they can contact Champion to get signed up for that. Uh, we have a website there at Champion Genetics at Yahoo, or um, or there's a phone number there on, that you can find pretty readily available. Mm-hmm. Um, for the... For for my schools or the ReproScan schools, um, we're going to have one in Morgan, Texas, uh, at W4 Herefords on March 20th and 21st, and then um, we'll have another one in Decatur at uh, the Scarborough Stanfield Pens there at uh, on on May 2nd and May 3rd. And that was another uh, thing that I wanted to bring up is you can actually set people up that come to those schools with the machine that they're using, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, we can send them packing that day if that's what they want to do. Uh, but you do. It's not, a, it's not a requirement to purchase equipment. If mm-hmm. you just want to come learn the skill, then, uh, then we're all about it. But we also offer the purchase of that. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be pretty beneficial. You're going to get go to that school, get familiar with that equipment, and – that exact setup and everything, and then yep. you can you can walk away and make it easier to transition once you're home. It's an investment for sure. It's an investment, but 
we usually tell people it takes about 600 head to to pay for it um a lot of the the ranches that we're going into are doing that in the first year even if they don't have 600 head Mm -hmm. it uh gives them the opportunity of checking those cows multiple times it gives them the opportunity of doing um you know 30 cow groups or 100 cow groups versus the whole ranch you know you call you call somebody to come out now and there's a pressure on getting the help lined up and getting those cows in the right spot and getting everything up and sorted versus um now especially these guys running a lot of lease country they can go from place to place to place mm-hmm. and uh it's a huge money saver on on those where they're, where they're you just got it in-house instead of having to line all that stuff up right yes sir who who do you mainly see at these schools is it are people or big ranches sending their their hands or is it personal people or doing their own operation or what's that look like uh, quite literally all of the above from the hobby guys that just enjoy it enjoy the technology we you know we had a guy that was a um, computer programmer at at a sheep and goat school in san angelo and he just enjoyed the technology he had sheep and goats but he just enjoyed the technology mm-hmm. that's he just loved it yeah and then these big rangers yeah for sure they're sending their their guys uh in fact that's going to be the majority of my phone calls is um wanting to send their guys to learn yeah and i think it's i think it's a really cool thing to be able that's what this podcast is about is is um is showing new opportunities to increase your income to increase your um your skill level your skill set add new skills and i think that'd be a anybody involved in cattle you could go learn whether you're a day worker and you can you can offer that service or you have your own cattle that'll help you coal easier and save you money from having to hire somebody or if you're not in it yet and you're you're planning on maybe you're in college or whatever and you're planning on doing something in the cattle industry at some point you could go ahead go to the school and then have that in your resume when you go apply for a job say hey i can also offer this service yeah i mean it's a the cost of the school is is cheap it's 650 to go to school um it's a it's a heck of a thing to have on your resume that you can do that um for sure it's a it's a it makes you more marketable and it's just more knowledge i mean it's just another thing that you can do check that box yeah yeah you got to have got to have the right skills if you want to increase your income yes sir um going back to the horses i want to ask you a few questions what what is your favorite horse that you've owned and then maybe one that you've watched and that can be um, from a pony as a kid that you just rode around on to your favorite cutting horse, or I know when I talked to Luke Spurlock that he says he owns the your favorite horse that you've ever rode. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The no, uh, the favorite horse I've ever rode is a mare that I still own. Um, that uh, some nostalgia there. So back when we were, or my family was trying to be big in the the cutting horse deal, they they partnered with a guy in dallas he was a a a chiropractor dr elvin blackwell and he owned um doc wilson who was a stud that stood there in martin's mill and um we had a million of them things standing around i mean a bunch of them (laughs) and uh so my dad rode a gildan won a lot of money on him and then um and then a mayor that was also out of that and then that mayor was what he was riding in when I was in college. And that was a lot of um, push for me to, uh, it was fun going and watching him and just 
just whooping them. I mean, yeah. this mare was awesome. She was fast and she was she was little, but she was fast and could get around and was just immensely cowy. So uh, we bred her, and the first horse that I trained was the mare that I'm talking about. Um, so she's a sweet little Pepto out of that Doc Wilson mare, um, and uh, she's just she's just she's a little crazy. She's a, she's pretty hot, but she's so quick. <laughs> And eager to please and just just wants to do right she's very sensitive and and uh anybody can ride her but it it takes some some learning to to uh ride her successfully i guess yeah. you'd say but um she's still kind of a go-to for me how old is she now oh she's nine ten nine i think mm-hmm. um and and sound and fine, you know, and we, we've raised a few colts out of her, sold a few babies out of her, um, but she's she's my favorite. Do you do you show her any or anything no, like that anymore? To <laughs> I was I was so broke and and learning how to actually train a a, uh, a show horse, mm-hmm. and um, she's extremely nice, and a lot of people have complimented her on her you know when you lay your hand down she she knows her business but Mm -hmm. to no fault of her own i just never did show her yeah um but my my favorite horse that i've been watching is uh i I don't know i fell in love with hottish metal that adon rode last year or Mm -hmm. last two years campaigned and that horse is pretty cool (laughs) i saw him at the fraternity um and didn't know anything about him didn't I wasn't in the loop, didn't know what was going on. You know, I just picked him out in the loping pen. I said, yeah. that is a specimen. Did sure you have the look? Yeah, he was cool. I liked him. Um, do you keep up with the the, industry, the cutting horse deal pretty good? And you go to watch the shows and stuff like that? Still? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every chance I can, I go to Fort Worth. and I don't know. That's inspiration for me. Um, I like watching these guys work the horses. I like going to the practice pen and watching it. Um, and it fuels the fire to want to, especially when I'm fed up and don't like what I'm riding and don't like what I'm doing. Most times I'm just mad at myself. Yeah. Um, to be able to go to those practice pens and watch those guys get through their horses and for the good and the bad, um, and, and take home what I, what I've watched, what I learned, try to, try to pick up what those guys are doing. Yeah. I think the, any, any industry or sport, the more you take in, you can, learn something from everything and everybody whether it's good or bad and say you know i don't want to do that or hey that's that's a pretty cool little trick there i might take it home and see what i can do with that yeah i think you know um for me it's been a in the last five years i've evolved so much from um trying to use my reins as point and shoot to now i'm way less in their mouth and more in their ribs and um and trying to frame those horses up more and I, I I used to just worry about the front end coming through the turn and now it's it's a full body movement you know mm-hmm. getting paying attention to their to their wither and getting their shoulders out of the way and getting their hip into that cow and and letting them come through themselves and um I mean for sure their feet are important but I, I'm not so much I'm not so much worried about um getting those horses to to just draw and come through now it's now it's more of uh, what's their body doing and, and how does this individual horse turn around and how can we get that crisper, smoother, cleaner? Yeah, breaking it down 
all the way, I guess. Yeah, and not being in such a hurry, you mm-hmm. know. That's one of my favorite things about instead of riding so many outside horses, now I'm riding more horses that we own, and um, and you can kind of let them develop. Yeah, just, instead of being in a hurry and having deadlines and all that. Yeah, and I, my biggest training tool is just sitting on them, just mm-hmm. in the middle of them, just putting the time on them and, and just just staying in the middle of them and letting them letting them have the reins and just ride them. Mm-hmm. Let them kind of figure themselves out and come back to you and get comfortable with you, get comfortable with you with what you got going on and with your hands and and uh once you have that communication down for me, I mean it's there's nothing you can't do at that point. Yeah. I've heard, I I believe in that totally just riding the horse, taking imperfect action. I mean, you could form some bad habits, but you could always you know, work on those and correct them. And so much of it is just getting on and going. It's, I heard that, I think it was on the gauge uh, with, and with Clinton Anderson, and they were talking about if you just got on the damn horse and yeah. rode them instead of sitting around and thinking about the best way to do it and the best bridle to ride and all this, if you just rode your horse and, and you would pick up maybe some stuff, for one, your horse is, is probably going to get better the more you ride them no matter what you're doing. And then also you're probably going to develop more of a feel and then get to know that horse a little bit better, what you could do better. And you could go improve on it, yeah. you know, later. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what you just said, I, we, we built a new facility and new tack room and I'll find myself staring at the wall, at the bits, you know, like, well, which one, I, what do I think I need today? What I'm going to mm-hmm. get accomplished? What is this horse like? And, and most times, nine times out of 10, I think it comes back to, it doesn't matter, yeah. you know, um, within reason, it doesn't matter. Just, just get something in them and 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 get along. Yeah, and I, I mean, it comes down to anything. I think if you're if you're wanting to do something, just get started. Because that's what I did with this. I was like, I put it off. I, I've had it on my mind for a while, and I was like, okay, after the first year, I'm gonna get it going. And I I'd bought some equipment and stuff enough to I could do it myself. And then luckily, we found this studio and and taylor here to produce it and it's probably a way better product but i was just ready i was like i know myself like i i get something on my mind i just need to get started yeah and that's that's what holds a lot of people back i think you you have all these good ideas but nobody knows them because you never act on them and it can relate to business or sports or riding horses yeah i mean that was a big thing in my whole childhood of of that that imposter syndrome or being scared to get going, you know, and and that was a big thing with my dad was just who cares, mm-hmm. you know, fake it till you make it, just yeah. figure it out, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it's still it's still my every day of mm-hmm. just just go, yeah, and don't do wrong, but don't do right, you know, right. What I mean, just <laughs> just, uh, just figure it out. Yeah, you'll have you'll have a few mistakes, but you're going to screw up. Yeah, but you can learn from those. I mean, you can perceive them however you want to, but they're. Even if you mess some stuff up, you know, you can learn from that and it just is going to, the best thing to do is learn from somebody else's mistakes. But the next thing is learning from your own. And then the next thing would be not doing the not thing doing at all, that thing, yeah. all right. <laughs> which is going to get you nowhere. If we could all get that figured out, it'd be good. <laughs> yep. um, so on that, like you were saying, you were talking about, talking about a Don's horse and just seeing him ride around and and the horses you're riding now, what do you what do you look for in a horse? So, uh, same thing that most everybody's looking for, I guess. For me, I I want to I want to see a, a big butt on them, and I want to see a high wither on them, um, and and looking at their 
their hawks and and where their stifles are over their hawks and and uh i want to be able to see that that horse can draw and 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 lift their wither and come through their ribs and uh those are the biggest things for me um mm -hmm. for sure the the aesthetic of them you know we want we want the pretty ones the pretty ones sell but uh yeah I, my biggest thing is just seeing that that horse can move around yeah i think that i think that well like what you're describing is what i like a, a big butt is my main thing and like their tail to tie in you know low yep my i hate riding a horse that their tail sticks up yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh i think that goes for like you're describing a cutting horse is what you're relating it to but that's pretty much anything i think a a head horse and a barrel horse are probably gonna be a little bit leggier and and taller and bigger but you still probably want the the same thing you know big butt withered tie-in right and all that stuff so that's all the heated debates at my house um i've got a beautiful girlfriend that is a uh avid barrel racer enthusiast <laughs> and we uh we have we butt heads quite a bit about what we're trying to get out of them mm -hmm. and um She's got an immensely talented mare that I, I really, really like. She was trained as a rainer and a, and a cow horse, and so um, it's a treat for me to still get to get on her because she's, she's so talented. Mm -hmm. Well, Lindsay went on to uh, run barrels on her, and whenever she has some frustrations or, or things are going on, I always want to get on and see what I can do. Yeah. And uh, it's quite the argument because I'm trying to draw her, and I'm trying to get her moved back, and – that's completely opposite of everything that she's trying to get out of her. And mm -hmm. we both think we're right. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, I'm going to say barrel racers, but also, also just rodeo people in general. A lot of them think that, you know, you don't want to get them broke is what we would call it, you know, be able to control their head and every piece of their body. You know, you see a barrel horse and, or bulldog and horse or something like that. And you want them to be, jacked up on the muscle and have their head up in the air and you can't really stop them or anything and but really you could have both yeah i think i don't i don't know enough about it you know i've i rope just barely enough to knock the hat off my head you know <laughs> but um but i know that if you can control that horse if you can control that horse with your body if you can pick that rib up when you that head horse when you hook that cow if you can just lay your right leg on them and get that horse to move off and kick that hip in and and be able to move their hips and move their shoulders and pick their rip with her up i think it's a game changer i mean mm -hmm. the the control you can have over that cow going out there uh, yeah i think the whole it, it's evolved so much in the rodeo and all these other events like the rain cow horse is getting really big and that's crossing over into i mean and you're getting them really broke in that because you're doing the different yep. events so yep. you're getting them really broke and they're having cow and then crossing over into the roping and like what trevor and miles and and melanie and them are doing up there they're breeding <laughs> an actual rope horse instead of taking a yep. you know taking rejects from other disciplines and and they're showing that you can get one very broke i mean miles gets them really broken and, and trevor too and put a good foundation on them and then but also go rodeo on them. It makes all the difference in the world when that horse is having a bad day, but they're still broke, you mm -hmm. know, and you can you got something to fall back. Then on. you can go to something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I would argue even still like in the, in the cow horse deal, um, it's a, I hadn't wrapped my brain around it completely or the cutting. I mean, um, that you still want them, 
you still want them kind of wild enough that they're going to show that expression on a cow and mm-hmm. and uh, you don't want to rob any of that from them yeah but you still if you look at what's winning i mean those horses are so broke mm-hmm. so so broke um so it's a there's a trade-off in there that you can't you can't take that expression from them but you also want to be able to to do all the cool stuff on them yeah well i think um i heard cody porterfield talk about this before i think on a podcast or something and you know he spent some time with buster and working on his ranch out there and he told him he said if you make that uh What's the magazine called? The Chatter, Cutting Horse Chatter. Yeah, the Chatter. Yeah. He said, if you make it on the cover of that, you're you're gonna you're be it. you're yeah. gonna be dang sure riding a cow horse. Yeah. That's that's not just something you put in a horse or something like no. that. And I think, you know, if if a horse is a cow horse, you you can do all this different stuff to them and have them running barrels and or whatever you want to do. But you put them in front of a cow, they're, they're still gonna, gonna perform. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. So you spend a lot of time on the road and traveling and stuff going to different ranches and putting on schools and breeding cows do you what do you listen to do you you listen to audibles or podcasts or just music yeah um i used to just strictly listen to music these podcasts came along i don't know when was that they've gotten real big in the past few years yeah Yeah. past few years and i yeah for sure um and what you've already mentioned, the gauge when Clinton made that just blow mm-hmm. up, and and then yours here lately, and um, and then uh, for whatever reason, I've gotten big into racing. I uh, anything that races, I love it, and not like just horse racing and, and car cars racing. and everything. <laughs> um, can't explain it. Never done it. Don't know anything about it, but I I love it. Yeah. Yeah. What about a motorcycle racing? <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 Lo- another fun fact is Logan hooked me up with my first motorcycle and it went from taking up room in his barn to now it's taking up room in mine. I so. figured you hauled it straight to somebody. To no, do I haven't found cool anybody things. yet. So if there's a mobile motorcycle mechanic out there <laughs> Putting that, 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 right now. Yeah, that would like to come work on it and then yep. also give me lessons after, that would be cool. So, <laughs> yep. um, What about books? Are you a book reader? So uh, one of my clients just... Uh, wrote a book or finished his book he's been writing it for a long time uh george berg it's called letters home and he was a uh, vietnam vet and it's supposed to be one hell of a story mm-hmm. um so I've, I've got that sitting on my counter i'm about to have a long airplane ride next or this week that i'm planning on starting it um and then i yeah i've read some cult starting books and 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 some motivational self-help stuff um, yeah and uh kind of a World War II fanatic as well. So anything that has to do with World War II, if it's a movie, video, TV series, or book, I'm in. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, all those uh, all those stories have always fascinated me in movies and yeah. all that stuff from even the modern times. Yeah. Those guys, they're a different breed. They're awesome. My One of my biggest regrets is not doing anything in the military. And I, I understand that that's a – a large undertaking and i respect those guys you know to the end but but i really wish i'd have done something like that mm-hmm. they're they're living their life to the fullest yeah 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 those guys are crazy um what about daily habits is there like what's a typical day look like for you <laughs> uh start as early as i can and um and really <laughs> the the different things that i do you just kind of never know what's coming at you um i live my life on my calendar because mm-hmm. uh through this et stuff that's very regimented 
um, scheduled out, and then and then these ultrasounds deals going down the road, trying to get all my horses rode. Um, used to be a big big workout guy of falling from that a little bit, <laughs> but um, would like to get back into it. I just believe in taking care of yourself and yeah, that health. Um, but every day's a little bit different. Doing putting lots of miles on your pickup. And- a lot of miles on my pickup. Trying to trade off and get another one at the moment but um yeah burning up the roads we usually um we have kind of a clinic setting there at champion where we can house about 300 head of cows and uh we get there and work through the cows that that are on the schedule for that day and then uh just looking at the whole herd keeping your eyes on cattle same as any guy that's running cows and Mm -hmm. um and then and then from there, it's usually branching out, going and and putting eggs in, or flushing cows, or or you know setting up cows to to for a further date. Yeah. Um, kind of an off the wall question for you: If you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Um, all beef, whatever it is, it's beef. And I <laughs> I have dove off into this um, wagyu. We've got several wagyu clients, and I uh, you know this whole beef industry has become such a boutique thing. Um, and then the b- genetic potential of what we do and how fast that that production curve can be. You can go in the right direction or the wrong direction really, really fast, utilizing mm-hmm. embryo transfer or AI both. Um, and just, it started out as just trying to support my clients. And now um, <laughs> our little girl, Hayden, she, uh, she turns her nose up at a steakhouse. I mean, it's not good enough because <laughs> yeah. we are very fortunate that we get to eat a lot of uh, Wagyu or Wagyu-influenced beef at home. And uh, Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Is, do you like straight Wagyu or do you like the cross? Uh, both both have their pluses and minuses. Um, if I'm going to eat straight Wagyu, I'd rather it be like a filet, something kind of small with less fat that's going to be real tender. Mm-hmm. Um, to try to eat a a, a full blood wagyu ribeye is very very rich, and um, usually you can get two or three bites into it, and that's about all you want. Yeah, you're just full. It's just very very rich. So if I'm gonna eat a ribeye, then I I want it uh, what they call a Texas wagyu or a or a just a half blood influence. What's a Texas wagyu? The half blood of Texas, uh, usually a registered Angus and and a um, wagyu. Have you had any other crosses on that Wagyu? I've heard people crossing them with the Holsteins and stuff. And Yeah, that's that's a big deal. I haven't had it. Um, I've seen a lot of those uh, carcasses and, and looked at a lot of that meat and, and studied up on it, and it's a it's a huge deal that seems very uh, – looks like good beef and looks very profitable, mm-hmm. but I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't had it. Yeah. Uh, to wrap up, where – go over again where to follow you um, and – how to look up these schools and get registered for those. So uh, the the best thing is to just go to Champions website, Champions Genetics at Yahoo, or championgenetics.com, and then our email is championgenetics at Yahoo. Um, you can contact me through there, or, uh, of course, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, just under my name, Logan McWilliams. Also, Champion is on Facebook and Instagram. Um, those are the quickest ways to uh, to find us, see what we're about, and, and get a hold of me. And these – uh, these schools coming up, they're on Champions website too. Yes, the AI schools are on Champions website. If you want to go to 
the Morgan School or the Decatur School, those are through me, and they'll just need to give me a call. Um, just look you up on Facebook and message Yeah, that'd you. be fine. Yep. And I know you got the flyers and stuff on there, too. Yep, yep. They they can see all that. Um, I hope you all enjoyed this one. Uh, if you're in the cattle industry and want to add that skill set, you know, have something else in your arsenal and your tool belt to provide um, to increase your value, then get a hold of Logan. Go to these schools. Uh, look into that. If you own a ranch, it's a great idea to be able to do that in-house yourself instead of hiring it out send somebody go yourself whatever um then also on my side follow me at the real crockett Crothers on instagram and TikTok. the wealthy cowboy show on youtube if you you can watch this if you're just listening to it on the apple podcast or spotify you can watch it on youtube at the wealthy cowboy show um please share it out if you didn't get value out of it I don't know why you wouldn't, but if you didn't, somebody else might. So go ahead and share it out anyway, even if you didn't like it. And uh, we'll see y'all next week.